you know that it's possible to survive the boss from hell without quitting your job or selling your soul? Hi, my name is Ken Williams, and I'm a certified life coach and a master of connecting with people. I've had a lot of bad bosses, because who hasn't? And I'm the host of the Bad Boss Podcast, a podcast where we explore ways to improve relationships at work so that you can survive the boss from hell. So join me as we delve into the ins and outs of working with people that you never wanted to be friends with. If you're hoping to reduce your work stress and increase your job satisfaction when it seems impossible, this is the podcast for you. Get ready to discover the power of untoxic positivity and learn how to survive the boss from hell. And chapter two of Surviving the Boss from Hell. I'm having so much fun talking about some of these strategies. Chapter two is called Strategic Brown Nosing, Making Your Boss Believe They're Your Favorite Person. Now, what is the advantage in this? Let's talk about it. Writing this book has made me a little bit uncomfortable, and we talked about that in last week's episode, because some of you know and work with me, and some of you are going to learn some of my secrets. So I'm just going to ask that you use this information wisely. And again, I'm not talking about who you think I'm talking about. So is that fair enough? Several years ago, I was asked to teach an early morning Bible study class for high school students. We met every school morning for about 45 minutes, and this was before school, so we met at 6 in the morning. The kids were great, and I had an amazing experience. It was so much fun digging into the New Testament. It was one of the years that I taught. We talked about the life of Jesus Christ, and I was so focused on creating an experience that would be dynamic for these students, high school freshmen and sophomores, for the most part, is who I was dealing with. So 14, 15 years old, uh, some of them into 16 years old, and I was feeling feeling a lot of pressure to to give them an amazing experience. So I remember realizing, just looking back on my own life, when I had an instructor that I liked, I usually paid attention to him. If there was somebody I didn't like, I usually didn't pay that much attention, and I wanted people to pay attention to me. I figured if I'm wasting, not wasting, (laughs) if I'm investing, we'll call it that, time every day studying, preparing, putting lesson plans together, and then getting up early. I'm not a fan of mornings, by the way. Getting up in the morning before six, because I had to be at uh, class by six, I wanted them to have a good experience. I wanted to have a good, good experience as well. So I decided if I could become the teacher that people liked, that would give them, that would give me what I was looking for. I would have the kind of interaction that I wanted to have, but they might actually get something out of the lessons as well. So a way that I discovered that I could get my students to have that kind of an experience is what if they believed they were my favorite student? So the interactions that I had, both in class, out of class, um, if you've listened to my Chocolate Cake Bites podcast, I tell a little bit about the story, I think, in some of the early episodes where I would share treats, uh, cookies, and ended up being chocolate cake that I do on a regular basis now. The uh, The basic scenario was, any interaction that I had with my students, 
I wanted to dedicate 100% of my attention on them. I wanted them to have the experience that they were important to me and that, in fact, they were the most important to me. And if they could walk away from every experience believing or thinking or imagining that I think I'm the favorite, that was a win in my book. So some lessons that I learned through this process, this was not just an instant um, education that I got. This was a process that took uh, weeks and months and in really years. But some things that I've learned through this process, number one, I have a lot of favorites. Having multiple favorite students or employees or whatever does not diminish how I feel <laughs> about somebody else being a favorite. It's okay to have a lot of favorites. I have five kids. Which one? Which one's my favorite? Well, I would like for each of them to believe that he or she is my favorite for a variety of reasons. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna go travel, for example, then Edison might be my favorite because he's a great travel partner. Um, if I want to, I have a son who wants me to start putting stuff on, on YouTube. So if I want a mentor, if I want a coach on getting stuff recorded and put up on YouTube, my favorite's going to be Dalton. And so I can, I could find something like that for each of my kids. I can do the same thing with my employees and my coworkers and et cetera. Having multiple favorites is not bad. It does not diminish anybody else's uh, experience or relationship. Number two, I get better results when people believe I like them. Number three, it's easy for people to believe I like them when I actually really like them. I get worse results when people think I don't like them. And the most critical thing, I think, is I discovered that I could decide to like people. And finally, it's not that hard. It's not that hard to like people. There may be other lessons. Maybe I'll add some of these, these later on as I continue on and, and uh, just really think about some of the, the um, life lessons that I've had over the years. But that's kind of the, the framework. So let's shift for a second. What is brown nosing and why is it so disparaged? I think we tend to think of brown nosing as giving an excessive level of favor or acknowledgement to somebody. Trying too hard to please somebody. That seems to me that brown nosing really then is insincere. That's the problem with it. It's fake. Maybe you're perceived as having ulterior motives. That's the problem. I don't think there's a problem if you genuinely like somebody and you genuinely want to do something for them. That's different. At least it feels different to me than not liking somebody and hoping you can get something out of them if you act like you like them. Suppose you like somebody and you are kind to them because you want to be a kind person. That to me does not feel like a brown noser. So I don't think that just being agreeable, just being kind, just acknowledging or following requests, I don't think that's what makes you a brown noser. So here's the shift that gets important. 
I think it's important to genuinely like people. You don't have to like them. <laughs> you don't have to like everything about them, but like them as people. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit more <laughs> as time goes on. But um, just think about that for a minute. I think that being a kind, gentle, generous human being is good. That is the kind of person I want to be. I want to be kind because I want to be kind, not because I want to get something out of my kindness. And here's a, uh, a powerful kind of corollary. I'm not going to let my boss being a jerk, and I'm just using that as an illustration. I'm not saying that my boss is a jerk, but I'm not going to let my boss and his or her personality turn me into an unkind person. I don't want to give anybody that kind of power. Now, I am not a perfect person, and there are times that things grate on my nerves and I behave poorly. But in general, I don't want somebody else's bad behavior to determine or dictate how I'm going to be. That gives other people way more power over my behavior and my life than I want to give. They don't deserve to have that much control over me, so I refuse to do it. Like I said, I'm a human being, and I'm not a perfect human being. I know people, plenty of people, who will attest to that. She, my wife, is one of those. She has plenty of evidence that I'm not perfect. So I'm not always great at that but I'm pretty good most of the time. So do you remember the golden rule? That one, do unto others as they would have you do unto them. Is that how it is? <laughs> do unto others. There's the platinum rule. I remember learning about this in business classes uh, years and years ago. Do unto others the way that they would have you do unto them. Treat others the way that they want to be treated. I don't know what the right answer is. Maybe it's being a chameleon. And I prefer chameleon to doormat. I think sometimes people think of those two characteristics the same way. And I'm going to explain what I mean by um, chameleon. I think doormat, hopefully that makes sense that you just let people walk all over you. Chameleon. When I was in high school, my dad told me that he thought I was like a chameleon. And he explained, when you discover what somebody wants, you give it to them. Now, I call this superpower pushing buttons. It is great fun. If I discover, for example, that it rubs you the wrong way when I say, happy Monday, <laughs> and it's Tuesday. So as far as I'm concerned, the calendar has Monday, second Monday, third Monday, fourth Monday, fifth Monday, and then there's Saturday, Sunday. So if I discover that it just grates on your nerves when I say, happy second Monday, I'm going to keep saying it. If you just let it go, it's no fun. <laughs> I'm just going to let it go. If I find out that, now I'm, this is one of those examples where I'm, I'm tipping my hand. I'm letting you see some of my cards and this gets really uncomfortable for me. But if I know that, that it really bothers you when I spell your name wrong, for example, my mother-in-law, as an example, hated the word irregardless. Hated it. So I wrote a book called Irregardless. <laughs> I am great at finding and pushing people's buttons. Now, this also works on the positive side. It's not all negative. If I discover that somebody likes chocolate cake, as an example, some of you know me as the chocolate cake guy, I will share chocolate cake 
frequently because it gets a reaction. If I stop getting a reaction, it's no fun. And I may not share quite as often. So that's the, um, that's what I mean by being a chameleon. I discover what pushes people's buttons and I push the buttons. And I, I have, <laughs> as I've gotten older, I'm much better at doing this in a positive way than I am in a negative way. But it doesn't mean I never do it in a negative way. Sometimes it's still fun to do that. I discover what people want. I give it to them. This is powerful. When you're dealing with your boss, when you're dealing with coworkers, when you're dealing with employees, or when you're dealing with anybody at any, any level, if you can discover what your boss, we'll just use that as our example for right now. If you can discover what's important to your boss, that's valuable information. Uh, my boss calls this the fascinating, the fascination factor. Whatever my boss is interested in becomes fascinating to me. So that becomes important if I learn that my boss is watching X and I can contribute to that in some way. I'm giving them what they want. If I can constantly be depended on to give my boss what he or she wants, I become more reliable in their eyes. I may become more trusted. I may get a little bit more flexibility, a little bit more grace, a little bit more consideration than the guy or the girl who is constantly working against the boss. So let's just reframe it. It's not brown nosing. It's being a chameleon. And if there's a better way to think of that, a better way to describe that, I am open to it. Um, I use chameleon only because that's what my dad used as an example uh, when I was in high school. But finding what's important to the boss and giving it to him or to her is going to be valuable. As you do that, as you shift your focus to the things that are important to the boss, that could be enough of an adjustment in the interaction and the relationship between you and them to make it just a little bit easier to work with the boss from hell. That's chapter two. Should we go on to chapter three? Yeah, let's do that. Chapter three, we'll do the two chapters at a time, just for my own personal <laughs> convenience. So let's just go with that. Chapter three, if you want to get a copy of the book so you don't have to wait <laughs> for a few more weeks for me to get through the whole thing, it's on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes and um, I would be happy to uh, get that shipped right out to you. Not me personally. I'm going to let the Amazon people do it. Chapter three, mastering the art of mind reading, predicting ever-changing expectations. Don't ask questions that you don't want the answer to. That is exactly what I have coached some of my peers. And they've responded with, why? I want to know the expectations. And my question is, really? Are you sure? Do you really want to know the answer to the questions? If you do, that's great. But make sure that you really do. Communication is a funny thing. We all tend to think that we're amazing communicators. 
we give super clear messages. They're easy to understand, impossible to misunderstand. However, I <laughs> I graduated with a degree in communications. I had no idea how bad I was at communicating until I promoted to a leadership role. I gave simple, what I thought was simple instructions. They were clear. They were airtight. I explained to somebody, I need you to pick these things up from these places. I gave him what I thought was exact information. Somehow, he figured out a way to screw it up. And not just a little bit. He screwed it up to an amazing degree. I work out outside on the ramp, and one time I asked one of the drivers to bring four, no, the way I said it was I asked him to bring two strings of orange dollies. Where we work, a string of dollies can have up to four dollies. And I asked him to bring two full strings. He needed to uh, bring those to the gate. He knew where we were, we were coming. We were going to offload from an airplane. And so he brought back two dollies. That's it. I needed eight, and he brought back two. So my question for you is who was responsible for making this colossal failure? And my answer is me. Really, it was both of us, but it was me. I obviously was not clear. I thought I was clear. I thought it was obvious that I needed two full strings, a total of eight dollies. He thought he understood. So he didn't clarify. He didn't ask me, so just two dollies, that's all you need? We were both wrong. We both screwed up on that one. One time I worked for a manager who I believe was intimidated by me. This is many years ago. This is not who you're thinking of, if you're thinking of anybody. She would go days, and I mean literal days, without saying a word to me. Her office was across the hallway from my cube. Eight, ten feet away. So it wasn't like we didn't see each other. We would pass each other in the hall on a daily basis. She might have given me a bit of a nod, maybe a crooked smile, but there were no words. Not a single word escaped her lips. No hello, no good morning, not even a happy Monday. In my youthful arrogance, like I said, this is many years ago, I wanted to see how long it would be before she would speak to me. And I think it was more than a month. A full month. And she did not say a word to me. Not a, not a word. I had coworkers that were going into her office at least weekly, sometimes twice a week, to meet with her. She didn't say a word to me. Frankly, I didn't even know if I was working on the right things because she didn't communicate with me. I finally broke down. I humbled myself. That's how I saw it. I was humbling myself because I wasn't the manager. I'm not the one who should be responsible for this. And so I approached her and asked if we should be meeting on a regular basis so I could make sure I was working on the right things. She said, um, yeah, that's probably a pretty good idea. And things improved from there. So again, my question is, who was at fault that we went so long without any words? There was no direction. My answer is the same. It's both of us. 
My main point is that you cannot read people's minds. Trust me, I've been married 33 years and I still, with every effort, am unable to read her mind. And to be fair, she's pretty crappy at reading my mind. I've spent a lot of time coaching people who have struggled in their own relationships. And in every case, when I ask if that person has discussed that issue with their spouse or parent or child or boss, the answer has always been, "Mm, not yet. So let's talk about bad bosses. I hear a lot of things like, well, we do the same thing every day. I shouldn't have to tell my people what to do every time. And I wonder, why isn't that person doing what their leader thinks is expected? The answer inevitably becomes, or comes back to, oh, I didn't realize they wanted me to do that. So let me get this straight. You're expecting somebody to read your mind, and you think, and they think you should be reading your mind, and really, you both stink at it. Stop it. Stop trying to read people's minds, and stop expecting them to be able to read yours. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be successful. Ask questions. Find out what's needed. And I get it. Asking questions feels like it's an expression of weakness. It feels like you don't know something, and so you have to go to somebody else and ask. But trust me, asking questions is a strength, especially if you have really good questions. Now, I've discovered I'm pretty good at asking deep and meaningful questions. Maybe you're good at that too. So when you're asked to change a procedure, produce a report, do something new, whatever it is, maybe you'll find a hole in the plan. Maybe there's a flaw. Maybe something hasn't been considered. Ask. Maybe there are multiple priorities that all seem to have the same urgency and deadline. You probably can't do everything for everybody all the time, all at once. What's the most important? Ask or don't. And I know that this seems counterintuitive, but trust me, sometimes asking is the way to go. Other times, not asking is best. I've been the victim of changes in expectations from bosses. Maybe you have too. My normal go-to is to get them to clarify the focus, the intent, the purpose, and the priority. Frankly, it's surprising how many times some of those things have never been considered. It's kind of fun for me to find the gaps that might result in some kind of a change, especially if the change is positive for me. So ask. A lot of times these decisions are made by people who aren't in the middle of the, the process. And so they're going to miss things. So ask or don't ask. I can't tell you how many times I used to have to provide things to my boss on a regular basis and I just forgot and no one ever said anything about it. And now it's no longer a thing. Some things are done only because we've always done it and maybe they're okay to suspend. Maybe no one needs the information that was being provided or maybe a transition at higher levels have rendered those things obsolete. And by asking about it, you might reignite reignite interest in it. So don't ask questions or ask. (laughs) Are you confused? Don't be. Just read your boss's mind so you know what the priority is. And when you can't read their mind, it's okay to ask questions. Just make sure that the questions that you want answers to are the ones that you ask. Make sure that you're getting clear and giving clear communication from your boss. That 
is your responsibility. It is not your boss's responsibility to make sure you understand something. When you're good at it, it will help you navigate interacting with the boss from hell. So that was chapter three and four. I have had a great time sharing my thoughts with you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Bad Boss Podcast. We hope you found it helpful and inspiring. Remember that relationships are a work in progress and making mistakes is normal. And if you want to have a better experience with your own bad boss, I'd love to chat. Reach out to me at ken at kenwilliamscoaching.com or check out the link in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with others who might benefit. And until next time, don't forget to spread untoxic positivity everywhere.